Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, actor Paul Cosson shares a little story about crazy love, really crazy love. Hello, everyone. This is on. Okay, cool. All right, sweet. So, you know how there's two different worlds that you perceive, one when you're a child and one when you're an adult. So the one that you're a child, when you're a child, the world that you perceive is that of, you know, like, yes, my parents can do no wrong. People are gentle and nice and kind to each other. And then you grow up and then you realize not that all those things aren't necessarily true, depending on what you learn, but that it's a lot more of a nuanced view. So when I was growing up, I went to a like a Baptist school all through my high school years, all my elementary, the thing that I learned, also being the oldest of four, was that you need to be a responsible human being. People that aren't responsible, people that are not kind, people that don't help and support other people are just, they're less, you know? It's like, not that they're, it's like the best thing that you can possibly do is to be selfless, like Jesus, and um, so when I, was, uh, when I was 21, me and my girlfriend got pregnant and got married. And so I spent 10 years uh, with someone that I didn't really want to be with. But when you're with someone, it's always a scales. So there's on one side you have, I don't want to be with this person and here are all the reasons why. But on the other side, there's like, here are all the reasons why I want to be with this person. Um, it's never one thing or the other. And so I had this giant 10-pound weight of responsibility on this other side of the scale, like you have to stay with her. Um, So I get to be 30, and I finally say to myself, I'm not going to spend my 30s still in a life situation that I do not want to be in, like unequivocally. And so that was a little hurtful, and it was rough, but it happened, and you just, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid. After that, because I had never had a real 20s, I decided to sow my oats. And I find... (laughs) It's like I I subconsciously seek out people who are somehow not available. Like, I had a lot of flings with people that were moving away in a couple months, and so it's like, this works out really well. Um, So eventually, I meet the woman in question. And we hit it off, and we have a good time. But like everybody that I date, I have to give them this disclaimer that says, look, I'm not in for a relationship. I just got out of a decade's worth of marriage. I don't want to you know, get into anything that's committed. So if you're cool with that, I'm cool with that. We're all on the same page. Let's go. Let's do it. And um, so things were going fine, and I was getting the kind of, uh, yeah, I, we're kind of getting too close. Let's back off a little bit from this relationship. Uh, when one day I come out of the gym and I get this text message on my phone it says, please call me, and I call her, and she is distraught, and she is in tears, and she says, my brother has just committed suicide, and um, it's something that I really could connect with because I lost four family members in four years back in the mid-2000s, and so it's like I'm familiar with that sort of thing, and it feels good to be there for somebody else. It feels good to help them out of a situation that you've been in. So I help her out of the situation. And uh, we continue on with our relationship. And then she has, over the next two years, a bad string of just tragedies. And it's something, again, that I'm familiar with. 
But at the same time, I still don't want to be with this person entirely. And so as soon as the scales tip on the let's not be with this person, something always tips me back the other way. Oftentimes it was some sort of tragedy in her life, and sometimes I was like, you know what, maybe I'm being a little too hard on myself. You know, it's like, maybe I need to give this a chance, maybe I'm just too closed off, you know, let's, let's just say yes. Um, so she loses over the couple of years, like she lost her brother, and as a result of that, she eventually lost her father, who kind of drank, drunk, drank himself to death. Um, her mother had cancer that won um, at some point during that time. Um, and she lost another brother to a drug overdose, in addition to a couple of other things. Um, and again, I was there for her every single time, and it was, it was, it was nice to be there for somebody. Um, we decided finally to be in a committed relationship. Every time I would try to break up with her, she's like, you've never given us a chance. Well, let's give you a chance. And that six months was worse than my 10 years of marriage. Like, there was so much jealousy. It's like... Where do, you, like, where do you want me to be? It's like, I will turn on the, where are you on my iPhone so you can check wherever I am. It's like, I have no interest in, uh, in running around anymore. I've, I've done my duty. I've, I've sowed my oats, and I'm kind of ready to you know, be in a committed relationship. But it doesn't let up. So at the end of the summer, uh, a couple years ago, I, uh, I waited for the right time. And then when the right time did not present itself, I ripped the Band-Aid off anyway. And I said... <laughs> I don't want to be with you anymore. I can't stand all this jealousy. We're becoming two different people. And she wouldn't take, she wouldn't, she wouldn't go. She would actually not physically leave my house. And so what I do is I start taking her shit and putting it onto my front porch. And there's like some shit. It's not like she's got, you know, giant piles of things living in my house. And she says, I refuse to go. And I look at her and I say, if you don't go, I'm going to call the police. And she looks at me and says, if you call the police, I'll tell them that you hit me. And I panic because, again, my worldview is based on the fact that being a nice person and a good person, it makes you quality and gives you value. And, so, and also I panic because no one wants to be embroiled in something like that. My brother had heard somewhere... Um, from a lawyer, I was kind of talking to him, and he's has his, he has his own had his own marital problems, um, but that's an entirely different story. But his lawyer said, "Okay, when you're in a fight, just discreetly turn on your phone and record what's going on, just in case this sort of thing gets to court." So immediately, I'm thinking, "Yes, I'm going to get this person. I'm going to be really sneaky about it too." But I'm completely obvious. I'm so filled with adrenaline, like I'm going to record you, and I'm not going to. Yeah, and you're not going to see it. So I turn it on, and as soon as I turn it on and she sees it, she turns on the I can't believe you hit me act. And it's like, no, this is just one more thing to keep me in this relationship. And I was angry. I was so angry. But at the same time, it's like I've never hit anybody except for my siblings to this day. Um, So she was in my face, and she was yelling. And you know that phrase, I was seeing red? I didn't really understand that it was actually seeing red. It's not just a metaphor. I saw red, and I had to do something. Just exert yourself physically, and sometimes people throw something, but she was right there, and so I grabbed her. I grabbed her and held her, and I just wanted, like, my angry feeling to blow over while I was holding her. And in that process, we fell backwards, and then she's like, oh, my foot. And I'm like, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Um, So she has a sprained foot. 
We go to the emergency room, and while we're in there, she looks at me dead in the eyes, like, you're nursing me back from this, or I'm going to tell the cops on you. And so I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks. It turned into the entire summer. Um, at the end of the summer, she got surgery for an unrelated matter. And she wakes up out of the surgery. As she's coming out of the anesthesia, she has a seizure. And again, it's like, this is the most unlucky girl in the world. What does that say about me? Um, <laughs> she wakes up out of the anesthesia, has a seizure. I go to visit her in her hospital room, and she doesn't know who I am. And memory loss sometimes happens um, with anesthesia, but she couldn't remember a damn thing. She couldn't remember how to tie her shoes. She asked me, she's like, tell me about my family. And I'm like, well, you're, your mom's dead, and your dad's dead, and you're... <laughs> yeah. And your brother's dead and your half-brother's dead. I mean, it's just like this, and your grandmother is dead. But you have a son. Um, and uh, so telling her this story was very clear to me that I was going to be her only support network. So I take her home, and it's an extremely rough couple of days because she can't remember anything. Um, but as she's in the process of remembering, there are some things that just don't sit quite right with me. You know, it's that kind of, it's the intuition that you have in the back of your head, the stuff that you see out of your peripheral vision, and, but when you look straight at it, it's not there because you reason it out. So one day she falls asleep and her phone, normally you can lock your phone after two minutes, five minutes, but her phone was on. I was looking at this phone, I'm like, should I? Yes, yes, I should. <laughs> I look on the phone and there's a text message from one of her siblings who is still alive. At least that's what I thought it was. I read the text message and it says, what's going on? If you can't reach me, call your grandmother or your brother. And I'm like, if this is not the brother, who the fuck is this? So over the next couple days, I'm like Nancy Drew in this shit up. And I'm like, I look up obituary records and I try to find these people's names and addresses and like, what the fuck happened to them? I can't find a single goddamn one. And so... I finally just do the simplest of things. It's not like some sleuthing shit. It's like, why don't you just call her grandmother? So I called her grandmother. This old lady answers, and I'm like, please don't let it be this old lady. Please let it be some other old lady. And she's like, yes. I'm like, yes, is uh, so-and-so there, which was, you know, like the name of her, her mom. And she's like, and I was expecting to get a, oh, she passed away a couple of years ago. She said, no, she's at work. She'll be back in a couple of hours. She's been staying with me for three goddamn months and her car and some of her shit's home. So what I do is call some very reliable friends. And in a crisis, you can really tell there's about a handful of people that will actually support you. Everybody else will, you know, they'll smile at you and they're acquaintances. But there are some people that will, they have your back no matter what. And those people are the most valuable people in the world. So two of these most valuable people in the world helped me scheme it where I drove her up to her house in her car. I would then get on my bike, which I had stashed in her garage earlier in the day, <laughs> and drive to a gas station where they were waiting for me. So we get in the car. I call her out on Facebook to a group of, a group of friends that we were... Um, you just, we had all worked together. It was like a theater thing. And so we haul ass back to Virginia Beach, and I'm like, yes, I'm finally done with her. All right. 
And so as we're approaching the house and I'm feeling the most elated I have in literally years, I hear this, Paul, and out from behind a bush, (laughs) she starts coming, because of the surgery, she had back surgery, she had a walker, and she's like, why did you leave me? And I'm like, shit, I'm like, you just fuck, fuck you, fuck you. So she calls the police, and while they're there, she's like, my friend told me he hit me. And the cops are like, we can't take him off to jail, you know, on, based on hearsay. So I don't stay the night in my house. Like, I can't stand to look at her. I can't stand to talk to her. I stay over my brother's house with my two kids. So that evening, in the morning, we come back to get ready for school. And as she's sitting there berating me, um, when she's not looking, I take my iPad, put it behind the sheet music and a piano that I had, and recorded the audio of what went on that day. So I go to work, I come back, and she's gone. Yes. And so, again, I have this elated moment for about five seconds, and I'm like, wait, let's go listen to this thing. So over the course of the next six hours, you hear me leave. Ten minutes go by. You hear her get up to check that I'm not there. You hear her call 911, and you hear her say that my boyfriend, he hit me, he's a very big guy, and for the next six hours, we have cops coming in and out, taking her statements. Uh, there's a protective order, so I can't return to my house over the entire weekend. I've got my two kids. Um, and the, uh, to top it all off, she calls her mom, and she's like, Mom, can you come get me? Yeah, and she does. And so I have to, I, you know, I've got this charge over my head. But because of the evidence that I had there and also the fact that she didn't show up on the trial day, um, I don't really have, I never got a charge hanging over my head. But, but at the same time, it's like all those lessons that you learn about distance and it's okay to be selfish and it's okay to say no. And sometimes you don't have to wait for the right time. You just have to fucking do it because that is the right time. Uh, so I learned all of those in like a crash course. So, and that's my story. That was Paul Coston sharing his story about how maybe some rebounds really aren't worth the trouble. Thanks, Paul, for sharing your story. To everyone else, thank you for joining Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling event at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. If you'd like to join Tell Me More or help out in any way, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find our online submission and contact forms, a schedule of upcoming shows, and more storyteller podcasts. Thanks again for listening. I'm Deb Markham, reminding you, a happy ending always depends on how the story ends.